I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, dear listener, and welcome back to season seven of Owning It, the Anxiety Podcast with me, Caroline Forn, author of Owning It, The Confidence Kit, and my latest book is Naked. They are all widely available online and in bookstores. I have a question for you for this week's episode. Have you ever struggled with body image? So it doesn't have to mean you're crippled with body image anxiety, but ever felt poorly about yourself or felt stressed about looking in the mirror and not liking what you see or comparing yourself to someone else and feeling oh I should look this way or that way or being hard on yourself or feeling anxious after you've eaten something and think oh wow like I need to eat less now for the rest of the day any and all of these feelings all contribute towards body image anxiety it's a widely experienced feeling it can be quite debilitating for some people and my guest this week to help me tackle the subject is jessica megan she is a massive influencer in the uk she's wonderful she's a body positivity model she's an activist she's a mental health advocate she's just an all-around brilliant passionate lovely wonderful person and we have a great chat here about body positivity about body image anxiety about her experience of it we also talk about her experience of covid which is the first time she's experienced anxiety to this extent and how she's navigating that but the thrust of the conversation is around body image and and the cultural conditioning that we have all been exposed to for eons now i found it massively helpful there is plenty of tips and tricks and i guess mindset swaps that you can apply hopefully from the minute you listen to this episode and i hope you get something from it and thank you as always for all of the feedback Welcome Jessica Megan, body positive model, activist, content creator, legend, wonderful person. Oh my God, it's so lovely to hear your voice. Like I'm speaking to you and you're responding to me. This is so cool. Like I've listened to your voice so many times, like, you know, just, just wandering around. So this is very weird. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's talking to me. This is amazing. Well, it is amazing to chat to you. And I have to thank you so much for sharing a podcast recently I literally do like a little happy dance when that happens because sometimes you just think like maybe a couple of your pals will listen to it or your mom actually my own mom doesn't even bloody <laughs> listen to it and to know that it's reaching people across the pond or around the world and actually hopefully positively impacting them is just so rewarding so thank you for that 
You're so welcome. And honestly, I couldn't not share um, that episode. I'm literally like, I tried to find it before I came on, but you know, and, oh, it was the one about um, returning to normal post COVID. Oh, and yeah. it was just so good. I was like, yes. Like, you know, and you're just like, yes, like it, this is exactly how I feel. And yeah. I knew that my followers would benefit so much from hearing it because I thought I cannot be the only one who feels this way. If it's affecting me, it's affecting other people. And I put it out there and I just said, is anyone else feeling this way? If you are, there's a podcast on it. It's great. It made me feel a lot better. made me feel a little bit more connected. Um, and the response was absolutely, I mean, even now I'm still having people saying like, where's that? Like, can you link me to that podcast? I actually feel like I did that one so long ago and we're still kind of slowly, especially in Ireland anyway, we're still so slowly emerging and then there's new variants coming and then we're going back in. It's like, we just, I don't know where we stand. So I think I need to do another one of those kind of episodes. I seriously think you should. It really, yeah. it was like, I, the, the rhetoric on that particular issue has been, I, I mean, I, I'm not saying it's scarce, but I just feel like it wasn't as clear cut as the way you worded it. And there was something so, so special and about and like easy to listen to about the way you talked about it, which made it make sense. Oh, wonderful. Well, let's we'll start by talking about you and your experience and then maybe we'll get on to the wider discussion around body image anxiety, which I know is a huge issue that affects an awful lot of my listeners. And certainly a lot of people follow you for for that reason to help. Is anxiety something that has really cropped up for you in COVID or would you say it's always been a feature of your life since growing up? Anxiety has not really been a huge feature of mine until COVID happened. Um, and it was really debilitating and I felt so um, shocked by it. It was a shock to my system because I think a lot of people will agree if they followed me for a while, they'll know that I'm quite... I'm quite a confident person. I'm, mm -hmm. I feel fairly, I've always been a little bit, I've always kind of lived in my own head. Um, I've always been very kind of like show busy and very jazzy. And I've always shown up with a lot of confidence. And then COVID happened and I was like, oh, I mean, this isn't going to affect me too much. This is going to be fine. I'll just, I'll be at home more than usual. That'll be the, the, the real change. And then in, I think uh, throughout, I mean, 2020 was not just a bad year for everyone around the world. It was a bad year for me specifically as well, because my dog died. Oh, um, God. You know, it was just, it, yeah, it was just like, you know, when you just sort of, but when you've got COVID happening, things that happened to you that would have happened to you before, like, I think wouldn't have, it wouldn't have affected, I mean, obviously it would have affected me greatly. My dog was my best friend. But it was still like, I felt like it, it hit me a lot harder because my nerves were already so frazzled by constantly, but you know, am I going to get work? It, you know, are things going to be okay? Are my family going to be okay? Are my friends going to be okay? So I was just completely exhausted. There's so many layers to that anxiety. I mean, when yeah. you're talking about worrying about work and then the actual bodily response of facing a very legitimate threat if you go outside your door that is going to wear down your resilience of thinking well even if it seems like an abstract thing or something that wouldn't affect you it was likely that you could catch covid or that you put other people at risk for your family or yourself and exactly all of that is it's an incredibly stressful backdrop on which to experience mm. other stresses like losing your dog or having any gaps in work so do you feel that it makes sense. It it does. It it does make sense now. But I think at the time, I think I'm one of these people that I am very focused on things like because these are the circles I run in. Like I'm very focused on things like privilege, and you yeah. know, I, I'm I'm I also grown up 
or I've been brought up with a mindset of, you know, be remember to be grateful for what you have. Remember that, you know, you are, um, you're incredibly lucky to have the things you have. So I kind of do operate sometimes with this probably problematic mindset that I'm, you know, I should be remembering what's good and what I should be grateful for. And that the fact that, you know, I I live in a a nice house and, you know, I'm not like, you know, I, I've still got work coming in. Do you see what I mean? So it was that coupled with the feeling of, but I'm not okay, Mm -hmm. but I should feel okay, but I'm not okay. But so it's like, you're at this, I was in this like war with my own brain. So it's been since, so it's been a whole year since, since my dog died. And I've really come around to this idea of like, okay, look, like this anxiety that you're experiencing, you know, it's maybe it's something that you should embrace a little bit. Like it's nothing, it's not as if like you're alone, like this is very common. Um, It's okay to feel this way, um, which was kind of a breakthrough, but then it went kind of a little bit south because I ended up being a little bit too, um, I ended up getting, it, it started to really manifest in, quite strong ways um Mm -hmm. so I was I started to think oh something terrible is going to happen um I didn't know what was going to happen I just knew that something bad was going to happen I started thinking that someone was going to break into the house um I started like waking up at night and thinking oh my god like you know there's someone in the house there's someone in the house um and it was only about three weeks ago that I called talking change which is obviously, you know, the, the therapy service in, uh, for the NHS here in the UK. Um, and I, I, I called, yeah, I, I called them and I just said, here's all my symptoms. I don't, I haven't had this before. Do I, do I need help? And they said, well, yeah, you've got quite severe anxiety. Cause I, there was a lot more than just those three or four I just listed. And they said, so we'll put you on a group. We're going to put you on group therapy for anxiety. So I'm starting that in a week. Um, I'm just going to see how it, how it helps because I don't necessarily want to return to who I was before, because I think we have to grow through these issues. I don't think it's something that I don't want to return to my old self. I want to embrace this part of myself that has happened, but it's just been, it's been very, very stressful and it's very different for me. I think an awful lot of people who have never experienced anxiety came face to face with it with COVID and would have thought this wouldn't impact me or it doesn't it doesn't affect me but like I say it has been such a slow wearing down of our resilience and a a shift in our lifestyle and I don't know many people who haven't felt it to some extent even if they don't identify it as anxiety and you've I guess as as brutal as those symptoms were for you it's really good that it's come to the fore and you've been able to identify it as such to be able to say okay this is what it is and another thing from what you were saying there sounds like was at play which is just like another layer of anxiety is the pressure we feel where you're you've got a roof over your head you're very fortunate you've got work you've got your health And then you feel like you don't have a right to feel the way you feel. And that toxic positivity leads to just more anxiety because you're shaming yourself for feeling a very normal feeling. And I think gratitude is really important. Like I think being grateful and appreciating what you have is really important, but not if it's going to be used as a weapon against yourself and made you feel bad about yourself. I think so many of us fall into that trap and I think it doesn't matter how fortunate you are your body doesn't know the difference your body can still experience stress under these conditions did you find that element of toxic positivity was contributing in a negative way to more anxiety absolutely and the ironic thing is that i'm somebody who has consistently kind of said like toxic positivity is is something that you must that people like my following i've said to them time and time again 
this is not helpful. Like you need to avoid this. And yet I wasn't practicing it in my own like day-to-day life. Um, and I think partially it's because I was trying to grapple for something kind of consistent to hold on to yeah. because I was really, I was really scared of this new feeling that I was experiencing. So I just have to, had to keep saying, you're very lucky. You're very safe. You're fine. You're fine. You're fine. Everything's great. And Sometimes that's okay because it can actually act as a calming mechanism Um, and it did work, but some days it just felt like I was suppressing my own feelings and I wasn't really like addressing them for what they were and I wasn't facing them head on and saying like I wasn't doing myself a service by being kind to myself. I was being, I was scolding myself and I think the difference is key. There's a difference between scolding yourself into stop worrying, like you've got lots to be grateful for, don't be so stupid, versus, hey, I've got you, it's all right, we're fine, it's safe, everything's okay. Because that that in itself is, you're kind of calming that, like sometimes when I'm struggling to like be nice to myself, I imagine I'm speaking to like, you know, me as a child. Yeah. And I'm just like, it's all right, like everything's fine, I've got you, it's all good. And it just, that difference between having, like being mean to yourself and being nice to yourself. I mean, it's something I use a lot in body image mm-hmm. um, techniques as well. It's like, just don't think of yourself as like this adult who needs to be better. Sometimes we need to treat ourselves as children and that just alleviates so much. Yeah. I mean, it's there's a place for both. And I think what works for me in terms of techniques is to allow for allow for the worries, honor your feelings, let, let the anxieties rise up and say, okay, like, what am I feeling here? Then more of the gratitude stuff can help as long as you haven't suppressed the initial feelings. I think there has to be room for both. And for me, it works much better if I follow up with the positive as opposed to not allowing for the negative. Absolutely. So, okay, before COVID then, I mean, you weren't suffering with anxiety, but I think there is a spectrum of anxiety from just day-to-day stresses, feeling down on ourselves to full-blown crippling anxiety, which I experienced where I kind of shut down completely. So let's go back to your teenage years and I was reading interviews that you had done. It was kind of around then for you that you say you struggled most with body image issues. And it's such a formative time. I think it's, it's such a delicate time for people when things can set in stone and how they talk to themselves and think about themselves and their view of themselves, their self-worth and their self-esteem can take shape at that time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. My teenage years were incredibly turbulent because I felt like, um, there was, I've grown up with a mother who was very, very uh, diet culture focused. Mm-hmm. So I grew up a lot around um, Slimming World meetings and, you know, or I grew up around diet, like, you know, sort of these meetings um, and like these, I had lots of these magazines in the house. And so I kind of grew up with this idea, particularly in school where I was um, a fat child. I went into teenagehood and I lost a lot of weight. And I went back to like school. It was like the end of school. And because I'd lost that weight over the summer, people approached me very differently mm-hmm. um, as a result of that weight, as a result of that weight loss and saying how good I looked. And I had this kind of newfound respect from my peers. And so I associated like weight loss with positive reinforcement and respect and okay, people want to like be my friend now. And rather than kind of gaining a healthy appreciation of body image, obviously it kind of set in stone this idea of I have to be thin, um, even if it means putting my body into 
like incredible stress, I have being thin is always going to be the end goal. And so, you know, obviously I kind of, I say, I say, obviously the thing is, I think it's become normalcy for so many of us to be in this position where we think that weight loss is just a constant or mm-hmm. being thin, or it's just a constant. Like I would do incredibly awful things. Like I would, I would not eat for days and days and I would drink vodka instead. So there would be things that I would do in order to try and curb my appetite um, I would, I remember there was a time where I think I tried to give myself food poisoning. Wow. Um, there was so many like horrendous tactics I would use to try and get myself thin. I remember becoming violently ill and actually being really happy about it because it meant that I was probably going to lose weight as a mm-hmm. result. Um, and this, all of this is, was a symptom of the fact that I, my body wasn't for me, it wasn't my friend. It was a vessel. It was something that other people looked at and I needed to make it look the best it could rather than actually tuning in and understanding it from an insider point of view. Um, and so I kind of went to university and I recall, I think I started going on social media at that time, like that's around the time I started using social media a bit more often and I found a lot of accounts that were just kind of generally talking about this idea that, okay, there's this body positivity movement. And I was like, okay, this is interesting. And at the same time, I was going to university and I was learning about feminism. And I was learning that there were a lot of people out there who were profiting off this insecurity that I had about my body. And it was around that time that I started to think, hang on a minute, this is actually a huge, like, um, this is kind of a conspiracy theory. This is kind of a big um, like, so this is something that I've been trained to think and there's people out there, there, well, there's a lot of like, there's a lot of like, um, very rich and powerful people out there who are profiting off my body, which has done nothing but try to keep me alive. And that doesn't seem very fair. And so what you do is you plant the seed of rebellion. And I was a teenager and teenagers will take that seed of rebellion and they will plant it and they will make it grow. So I was very like, this is this is, I don't know if you can swear, this is bullshit. Yeah, of course. Um, this is, <laughs> I was like, this is absolute bullshit. I really, I, I, I like, and, and I've been miserable for so long. And so it just kind of, it, it started from there and it has been the most incredible journey since. And before you got to that turning point, how did it show up for you in your social life? Um, my body image anxiety. I think, um, I would always get anxious about going to places where I would need to eat. So obviously if there was food involved, I would have, because it, was, it wasn't just about what I would eat. It was about eating in front of other people. Um, I didn't particularly like the, I just didn't want to be associated with food and I didn't want other people to associate with me with food because I already had such a skewed ver- like image of what I looked like. I thought I was incredibly fat, which in itself just goes to show the length of, you know, my fat phobia. Then I was incredibly scared of the idea of being fat. Um, that I would always worry that people would look at me and like make judgments on the things I would eat. So I would avoid that. Um, I remember there was um, just so many blackout parties because I just wouldn't eat for the entire day. Um, And I would just obviously black out in the evenings. Um, And that was, and I remember I was like, like, like fainting on a train once as well. And somebody had to like, wait, like shake me awake. Um, And it was, yeah, it was, I think for 
so many of us, it becomes something that we we just it becomes such a central part of like our like brain, like our brain isn't being used to think of like other, we're just thinking about food and avoiding food and how much food we've eaten and can we eat that food because we ate that food earlier. So it's an incredibly, it's an, it's a very big way of controlling people and control, particularly women. Um, I think it's important to note that obviously I appreciate that um, men do suffer from these issues as well, but I do think that this is more of a predominantly female issue just simply because of the fact that we have seen it like just, just through marketing, just through the way it's been marketed to us for at least, I mean, definitely throughout the last like 70 or 80 years, but it's even gone before that as well. Um, so it's, it's not like I, I never think like, Oh, you know, men never suffer from yeah. this but it's just something that has been so um like it's so brutal for women it takes up so much of our um brain power and energy thinking about these issues do you i mean i'm always curious like a chicken egg situation we've we have been led to believe that being thin and slender is more attractive like what has come first have we been conditioned to believe that so that these industries make money or did industries make money off the fact that people find it more empirically attractive to be skinnier it's it's all about what is kind of trending at the time so if you look through the if you look through the history of body image you'll notice that like it's it's not been consistent. It's always been, maybe at one point people preferred more broader bodies. At some point people preferred larger bodies. Sometimes they preferred thinner bodies. It's all about what's trending at the time based on the economic um, prosperity of a particular culture mm-hmm. um, or whether it's been, whether it's to do with, you know, how like rich somebody is. These things are all incredibly relevant. When it came to the 19, I think it was just, it was post-war, um, there's this, well, there's a, a lot of like studies on this that show that they like the women, a lot of men wanted their women to be thinner because it showed that they had some kind of, it was some kind of like, they had some sort of like prosperity. They wanted women to be slightly weaker um, mm. and women, women kind of, um, took that on and ended up, uh, putting that ended up becoming the fashion so it wasn't just about you know it wasn't just about it being post-war it was also to do with uh, the patriarchy as well um, and it varies throughout time but ultimately throughout the last maybe 80 years or so maybe 70 years mostly it's been about being thin but now we're starting to see a change in the last couple of years towards very slim waist big bum big boobs but no cellulite yeah it's and it's like it's really it and even even people say okay so it maybe it's it's better because we've got this larger body type i still think it's pretty bad we're still telling women that a a specific body type is what is most desirable is what is most coveted and this is why we're seeing so many pictures of um you know have you seen like this kind of phenomena of like curved furniture because women are trying to like replicate that like sort of slim waist, large hips, yeah, but not wow. everyone has that. I mean, that seems even more likely to like lead to surgeries and stuff because it's it's so difficult to have a curvy bum and a tiny waist at the same time. And it's like, I mean, people are probably going and getting bum implants and wearing waist tightening corsets and stuff, which is really dangerous. It's really, it's, and it's, it's absolutely 
unbelievable. The amount of cosmetic surgeries that are available out there. Um, and, you know, you can go and get these bum implants. You can go and get, obviously, you know, breast implants have been around for a lot longer, but now it's bum implants. Now you can get like the fat injected from your stomach into the sides of your thighs. Yeah. To kind of give that really exaggerated hourglass shape. Now, I've always said to people, I think that it's a woman's right to do whatever she wants with her body. Yeah. But ultimately, I don't think that that means we should free ourselves from the notion of questioning why we want to go and get these surgeries. Just because we, just because we are allowed to do what we wish, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't at least ask questions why do we feel this way? Is it really for us or is it for somebody else? At the end of the day, it's important to have these conversations. 100%. I mean, I think we've conditioned ourselves to think that it's for us. And I have certainly been conditioned. I had a baby last year and, you know, that comes with a whole other pressure of, I mean, I don't even know where the pressure comes from, but I think it's, I almost put it on myself of like the bounce back or whatever. And I didn't do that at all. I very, very slowly just came not back, but forward to whatever my new body shape would be. But I know like looking in the mirror, if I feel slim and I look slim, I think that it, I feel better because I think looking better makes me feel better. But I don't, I think that we fool ourselves into thinking that it's about us, but really it's not the, it's not the nature, it's the nurture of the culture conditioning that makes us think that that's more acceptable. I think we've lost touch with how much we're conditioned. I think this is such an interesting point. And I think the thing you said about the mirror is interesting because so many of us will look at reflections because that's what other people are seeing. So a lot of the time, that's what mirrors are like. When we're looking at mirrors so much of the time, it's not always about looking at us. It's about what other people will see. Um, and that's something that like I always kind of consciously try to like remember whenever I'm looking in a mirror and that bounce back. I mean, there was that awful clip of um, Victoria Beckham who had just had a baby. Have you seen this clip? Well, I was just watching, I just finished the new season of Selling Sunset. And one of, I don't know if you watched it, but one of the main narratives in it was that one of the main girls had just had a baby and she was two, two weeks after giving birth wearing like crop tops and, and, and everyone was like praising her so much for, oh my God, you look incredible. You're amazing. You're an amazing mother. Look how you bounce back. So it's so, it's still so there for new mothers in particular. And I just felt like a pile of shit because I was like, please, like, this is so bad. This is so unhealthy for people to see this and think that that's the goal, especially when you've had your insides ripped out of you and you're recovering hormonally and you've had a episiotomy. There's a whole other conversation there and post-birth, but the bounce back is still the goal. It's absolutely unbelievable to me. I mean, I just remember it was Chris Evans and she was, you know, Victoria Beckham was asked to step on a set of scales on live on, on television to prove that she was the same weight that she had been prior to having the, the baby. And then on top of that, you know, you've just had, I mean, let's like in perspective, this is one of the things that I do a lot. This is an exercise I do a lot. I think about the fact that, okay, so I like, let's zoom out and look at like the world from like a very zoomed out perspective. Like human beings are incredibly, like they're incredibly smart. Our bodies are so intelligent. You've grown a child. Like remember we used to be, we used to be like fish, right? And now we've come to this amazing point in our, in our like evolutionary process where we can grow entire babies like inside us and we can give birth to them and they come out, you know, like like fully formed and it's just an absolute like 
it's absolutely incredible what our bodies can do. Um, and then it always, and then something as pure as that, something as human as that gets diminished completely down to, okay, but how did you look before? Yeah. Like how there's this completely abstract concept that has literally no relevance to real life whatsoever. It's a made up concept, beauty and body image and all of this stuff. And what is considered conventionally attractive is a made up concept, but that's what you're made to think about. Not that you had this, and I'm sure you have thought about this, don't get me wrong. Like, you're not, not that you had this amazing, like this, this baby that's changed your life, brought a new human into the world you're thinking about your stomach, your cellulite, whatever your body looks like or what it looked like before. And you're looking at old pictures of yourself and thinking, oh, I, I, I don't look like that anymore. You know, I had a baby and it's just about, I get, I get so angry because it is utterly outrageous that we are able to do these things, that we are able to have babies and we are, our bodies are able to, you know, pump blood around our body and it's just, what we can do and it's all with all we're left to think about is but how do I look am I thin enough I you, know, know. Am, you know is my face thin enough have I have I started to develop a little bit of a you know like under neck wobble like all of these things are things that we're constantly told to think about we don't think about the marvelous amazing things our bodies can do because all we can think about is how do they look how do I look it's so sad. It's so sad. And you can see it in the comments. I mean, like there's certain influencers who would have had a baby and then they would be looking like they never had a baby weeks later in their posts. And then when you look at the comments and it's just like, wow, oh my God, you're amazing. How did you do this? And it's like so praised. And it's so like, even though we know fundamentally it's fucked up, it's still what people are desiring. This is why we need people like you. There's so few voices to put the emphasis on what your body has done and not what your body looks like. That's absolutely it. It's so, it's so incredibly true. I, I find, and this is the thing, this is why I think it's, it's ironic because obviously my life, my job, my work is on social media. And then at the same time, I'm just like, no one go on social media. I know. <laughs> Stay on social media. That's what I want to get on to next. Yeah. So, I mean, social media was the turning point for you, but it's it's a double-edged sword, certainly for me. It, it's oh it my God, it is. a lot of anxiety for me, but you are democratizing the imagery that we see and you're playing your part. How did you begin to rebel and what did it feel like for you? I guess it's quite vulnerable to put yourself out there when at a time when nobody was maybe doing it that much or you just started. How did it go? How did you feel? What was the reaction? At first, I remember my audience being... Um, this is a really interesting like part. So I remember my audience was mostly men. And like, as you can imagine, um, a lot of the responses I got were very like, because I'm showing my body, um, I'm showing my body and it's full. I mean, everyone sort of who knows me knows that I have a bit of a reputation for running around in public in my pants <laughs> to promote uh, body confidence. And, and because women's bodies on top of being a, like, you know, um, scrutinized so much for how much weight we put on, what wrinkles we have, all of that, are also still heavily, heavily objectified and sexualized. So um, the majority of like criticism I get is either, you know, you're too like, you're not, your body isn't like conventionally attractive enough. I was a size sort of 10 to 12, which at the time I was a model and that was still considered on the larger end of the spectrum, which wow. just goes to show how incredibly messed up the modeling um, industry is in itself 
And so I was told, you know, a lot of the time, because I was like posing in lingerie. And at the time, I really thought what I was doing was quite revolutionary. In hindsight, now my body was quite small. So maybe not, but it was still considered to be quite, oh, okay, you're very confident in your body. Like, should you be? You're not size, you're not size eight. Um, and so I was like, I was quite overtly sexualized. I had a lot of like male followers at the time. Um, and then I just continued, like I ignored everything that people said. Um, I ignored all of the like sexualization. I ignored all of the criticism about my body and I just continued to post and I continued to, um, like it went from just doing modeling to actually speaking directly to the very thin sliver of women that followed me and just saying, you know, your body is actually amazing in what it is. I mean, it's, it's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's okay to have stomach rolls. It's okay to have cellulite. And, you know, the way I speak about it now has definitely evolved, but back then it was, it was quite, um, it did feel very, I, I was very nervous. I was very yeah. anxious um, because I, my, I was thinking a lot about my friends and my family and what they would think of me, mm -hmm. uh, seeing me post this, these things, this content online, um, because I was still very, I was still sexualizing myself hugely and I was still going through my own body image issues, um, in a big, big way. And I think after a while, it just started to gain traction and, you know, more and more women started to kind of join in the conversation. And I started to feel a little bit more emboldened and people start to tell me mm. that it was useful to them. And even if it was just one person who said, this has really helped me, I would, that's kind of spurred me on to do more. The biggest names in tennis are coming to Paris for the most anticipated Roland Garros in years. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled tournament access as the world's top players in tennis face off against each other. Will the veteran champions continue their dominance or will a fresh face emerge to challenge their legacy on the clay courts? Daily live coverage of this epic showdown begins Monday, May 20th. Don't miss a matchup. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80 percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up Quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. That's Quince.com slash upgrade. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Here's a question for you. Do you have to be careful that regardless of the response you get, this is what you're putting out there. You have your own relationship with your body, your own love for your body, and that it's not a case of, well, now I feel validated because other people are saying it's okay. Oh, uh, 
Caroline, this is something that I think about all the time. And I genuinely really, really am trying to understand that it is about, it's about me and it's not about the validation, the external validation from social media. This is something that I am so like, it's I, I, like every day, I'm always thinking about this. I'm like, you know, do I really feel, is this something that's really like true to myself or is it something that I'm doing because, you know, I, it feels good. I've always been a performer. I've always been somebody that really thrives on, you know, showing off and like it's external validation and so on and so forth. So I have had to do private work in order to, um, in order to show myself and prove to myself that this isn't just about likes and comments and attention on socials. Um, it's something that I, like I've, I very much believe I have come to a really healthy point where if, for example, like, I mean, if Instagram got deleted, for example, let's say I would be disappointed because that's my job yeah. <laughs> and I would lose so much, so many connections and, and like, you know, so many amazing people that I've really come to connect, like connect with, but I do feel as though I would feel okay in myself, I've come to a really like healthy point now with my body image where I feel very, very confident and I feel very okay with who I am and how I look and all of this, like, but I completely appreciate the question. It is it's something that I think about. I still think about a lot. Yeah. It's a tricky one because no matter what, with social media, there is an external validation there. So it's, it's never a case of just sharing for yourself. I mean, it's amazing that you're at the point where you feel like it wouldn't matter to you or that you feel solid enough. I think I feel like that. Yeah. I think I feel like that. I think, and I think I'm, I, I never, I think it's very important to be self-aware and I do often tell myself, like, I think I feel like, I think I feel good about it, but I also know myself very well. And I do know that I thrive like quite a lot off of, um, like external validation, but that simultaneously, I think as I get older, that internal validation is starting to grow a lot, lot stronger. I want to talk about being kinder to our bodies and the idea of loving our bodies and just saying, okay, well, if you just love your body, then everything will, will be okay. I know you've said before that that can be quite a stretch for people sometimes. Where can we start? I mean, we, we have years and generations of conditioning to thinking that a little bit of cellulite is some sort of slight on our on our being. It's a big ask to look in the mirror and love yourself for what you see. Yeah, it really it, it really is. I think in, I think this is something that I have I've spoken about it a lot. I think ultimately I it is a, it's a lot to say to somebody, especially who anyone who's maybe just stepped into this and, and suddenly maybe wants to come around to actually liking their body rather than kind of, you know, either losing weight or getting surgery. The idea of someone saying, accept your body, love your body is quite a big thing to ask after years and years of indoctrination into weight loss rhetoric mm -hmm. and, you know, diet culture and so on and so forth. Um, and I think one of the things that I, I think I tell people a lot, like think about what you like about your body rather than focusing on um, what's changed or what you don't like, focus on what your body actually does for you. 
Um, think about how your arms allow you to hug and your stomach allows you to eat and your tongue. There's a, there's a great quote from a Bill Bryson book about the body where he talks about how the brain and uh, like the mouth is just tasting chemicals. Like let's say you're eating a really gooey, fudgy brownie. The mouth is just tasting chemicals. It's the brain that actually gives you the tech, the flavor. It's cre it like creates fireworks. Like the things that our body does for us is absolutely incredible and it's so so important that i think we we have to start start there um another thing that i mentioned earlier is about think of your body as a, like in the really kind of vulnerable moments thinking about your body as like a baby or if you or if you know or a puppy or something vulnerable mm -hmm. you would never starve that baby you would never overfeed it until it cried, um, you would never like intentionally hurt it. Um, you would never do things to it that, you know, you would never, you wouldn't want to punish it because ultimately it's an innocent. It isn't something that it's not trying to deceive you. It's not trying to be bad. It's not trying to show you up or embarrass you. It is just, a, it's just a vessel. It's just a thing that we use to get through life. And I think once we start viewing our body in a way of it's not that it's not trying to it's not trying to make us look bad. It is just trying to keep us alive every single day. It works 24 seven. Um, and that in it, that for me has helped me so much from the beginning of when I started this journey to now is just reminding myself like it's not a bad thing. It's not trying to be annoying or it's not trying to hurt you. It is just trying to it's trying to keep you alive. Um, and I think we have to start questioning this idea of where thinness will make you more lovable or more worthy or more deserving. We need to go back to the roots. Mm -hmm. um, we need to stop internalizing. This is another big one. Stop internalizing people's bad behavior towards us. Stop seeing that as a measure of our worthiness because it's not all the comments that you received from family or friends about your body and how you look on your body image. Maybe an ex commented on something about your body that has really stuck with you. Like if you've internalized that and you're using that as a measure of your self-worth, then it's going to eat you alive. So you need to realize that it's, it's that that's their problem and it's not your issue that you have to deal with. How do you stack up your self-worth these days? Where does it come from? Um, I think my self-worth comes from, um, it comes from like, do you know what? It's It's been really hard to, it's been a lot harder to identify recently than it would. Like if, if you had spoken to me two years ago, I think I would have given you a different answer. But I think with the anxiety that I've experienced throughout the pandemic, it's been a little bit of a moving like goal. Yeah. Where is this coming from? Like, where do I, where do I really draw strength? And I think ultimately the, a lot of my self-worth does come from right now, the bare bones of taking myself like for a walk uh, and like actually thinking about who I want, like my future, who I want to yeah. be as a person. Like I think about myself in five years a lot. And this is a really strange like thing. And I don't know if other people do this, but when I'm trying to draw strength, I think of future me and I'm like, what would she be proud of me doing at this time? And so 
that's where I lot where that's where I draw a lot of my strength is who do I want to be in five years? Who do I want to look back on? Like who do I want to be now that I look back on now and feel pride? Something else you said recently stuck out with me, and I think it's a really helpful thing. The human brain consumes 20% of the body's energy. Imagine how much of that is negative and bullying towards yourself. That is such a waste of energy. We're trying to put out good energy in every other way. We're we want to be kind to others and we're just so hard on ourselves. Today, someone listening who has just such poor quality self-talk where can they start or what would you what what things can we say to ourselves that might start to build a foundation of, of a nicer relationship with ourselves definitely practicing self-care I know that that phrase gets thrown around a lot and it's kind of lost its meaning mm-hmm. um, you know it kind of gets lost in this idea of like bath bombs and yeah. you know and don't get me don't get me wrong those things can be helpful but practicing like you know practicing self-care is really important ask your start engaging with your body by asking it what it needs every single day um like usually we need like a regular supply of like uh stimulation maybe maybe sleeping maybe food maybe um like maybe some social interaction, like whatever it is, like relaxation. Um, It's very important to plan ahead. And this is something that I've started doing and I hate it, but I'm doing it because I'm, it's, it's self-serving. It's for me. I'm doing it because it's important because I know that I won't do it otherwise. So actually practicing your self-care and planning that ahead as much as you can, giving yourself that time is really, really crucial. It's because then what you're doing is you're kind of telling yourself that you're worth that time. You're not just like, you're not just like kind of cruising through the day, getting to the end and feeling like you didn't really engage with yourself at any point. Um, I think also going out into nature um, again, like it seems, it seems pointless, like, and it doesn't seem relevant, but it actually helps so much because it has such a variety of benefits. Um, And it also gives you like helps you rejuvenate. Um, so getting outside is so important. Um, not, I think not comparing your body. That's another huge so hard, one. Yeah. It's the hardest one. I think it's the hardest one. Cause even I, every now and then like will still compare. Yeah. But I've luckily kind of created a sort of environment or in my head for myself where I'm like, but that's not my body and it never will be. So cut yourself off straight away. Don't start thinking, Oh, if I just, if I just like, do this or if I start doing this maybe I could look like that forget it like I I know it sounds a little bit like harsh but for me it's just I if I see a body that I think oh oh and my old self my old like thoughts start coming back I just say that's not my body it never will be I'll never look like that it cuts it off and I stop thinking about it immediately um and then I can start that process of feeling grateful for my body again rather than like comparing it to other bodies on that topic the self-talk we we might use when we go to the gym for example like trying to swap out things like why are you exercising and what are you what are you doing this for and it's for me now it's shifted since I had a baby where I'm like I had an awful lot of like pain after I had my baby I've had all these pelvic girdle issues where I wasn't able to walk properly and I'm like it's not about like losing baby weight it's about being strong enough to be able to hold my baby and go for a walk without pain and enjoy my life and feel fit and healthy enough to run after my child and feel healthy and sleep well that's right that's right but that's 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 exactly it's it's and I look I, like the thing is with this it's not going to be overnight we were taught like about diet culture and how to lose weight and it's seeped in at such a young age when our brains are incredibly absorptive and they're going to take in all that information how can you be expected then to just regurgitate all of that 
And all of that systematic, all of that systemic information that you absorbed throughout your time as a teenager into adulthood, which most of us have, if you live in the world we live in, how are you expected to just forget all of that? Of course, sometimes you're going to go into the gym and think about the, the weight loss. You're going to think about toning your, whatever it is. Yeah. But the thing is, the most important thing is that you're replacing, not necessarily replacing, but your second thought is, but I also want to run after my child. Like you said, I want to be strong so I can do all of that running so I can, you know, so I can enjoy it. Plus, you know, working out is, it feels good. That's what you should be chasing, that high of, I feel great, not, oh, thank God, I think I might have, you know, I think I might have tipped the scales a bit the other way. Because that in itself is just like, it's so incredibly toxic. It is. And I think it's important, like going on from what I was saying um, earlier, um, you know, avoiding, um, like following people that make you feel bad about yourself. Um, it's really important that the female lead did a great study where they realized that there are causal links between, um, young girls who follow, um, who they follow on social media and their own self-esteem and your social media diet is crucial. If you're following people that'll, that are consistently making you feel like you are not good enough, you're not like worthy enough, that your life isn't very interesting, that your body is disgusting, whatever it is, unfollow those people. It's genuinely not worth it. Um, we've, we've grown up in our society is so focused on like aspirate. It's like this kind of aspiration porn, like, oh. you know, that it's, uh, it's, it's so incredible. It's so toxic and it's really, really worrying the amount of like accounts that the that so many teenagers have access to i mean there's so many differing like messages that we're receiving like make your feed bright and colorful and interesting make it somewhere that you learn make your like make it somewhere where you educate yourself as opposed to somewhere that you go on to just bully yourself yeah and beat yourself up because if we're spending I mean, I don't know what, you know, screen time is unbelievable these days and oh, I'm I definitely no better. Yeah, so am I. If you're spending whatever, like four to eight hours a day on online, whatever it is, um, then you need to make sure that that place is, that your social media feed is a happy place to be. Um, so that's a big, big one. And that's the one thing I say to people, if they say, what can I do today? That's the first thing you can do. Like if you're online, think consciously about who you're following and how it's making you feel that is so so important so we can't switch off the part of our brain that tends towards social comparison that's just an, an innate thing but we can become aware of it we can question things we can critically look at why we feel the way we feel and I think that's been one of your goals I know you said that before as well it's just like question it rather than accepting it and start to make a few small changes, whether that's curating your social media a bit more or thinking about swapping out some of the things you typically say to yourself for maybe a more balanced alternative. That's exactly it. Because I think if, I think a lot of people come to me and this is something that happens all the time. And it's really, it's, it's devastating because I swear if I could give people something that would just completely alter their perception of themselves overnight, I would because I know how incredibly painful it is and how much energy it sucks out of you to constantly thinking about your body and how it looks to other people, calorie counting, uh, weight loss, all of these things that have been so pervasive throughout our lives. And it, 
but I think the first thing I would say is get angry, be annoyed. Yeah. Like, and you're, you're absolutely allowed to be. This is outrageous. This is such, um, this is such an injustice on us that we get one life to really make the most of. And we've been made to think about our bodies. I mean, Dove, I mean, I worked with Dove and they sort of said, they said that, you know, there have been so many instances where women have not joined in on a particular like event or activity because they're afraid of how they look. Um, there's been so many, um, like, there's been so many women that have come to me and said, oh, teenage girls as well. So I didn't, I didn't do this. I couldn't go to the beach. I couldn't have sex with that person because I was afraid of what they might think of me. I didn't want, I didn't want to go and do this particular thing because I felt like people would judge the way I looked. We get one life to make the absolute most of it. And we've been forced into thinking about, but how will I look? How will I come across? And it's, it's, it's incredibly devastating. Our bodies work every day to keep us alive. We treat most strangers better than we treat our own bodies. Um, we allow these faceless corporations to feed our anxieties and how they should look when in reality, you'll never actually reach the utopia of the perfect body because your body's always gonna be changing. So the only way you're gonna achieve the bodily, bodily satisfaction that you crave is by accepting the one you're in now and by actually starting to question these ideas that have been put in your head that, you are just some kind of, that you are a 2D image. You're not a decorative piece, you're a human being. And I'm, I think we, we just have so like much we have to unpack. And that's what I'm trying to do with my platforms. Because, and there's a great quote that um, I, by, I think it's Christias Murius. And she said, stop living in a body that you see as temporary because you can't make a home in a body that you view as temporary. Another one for you. I had a neuroscientist on the podcast in one of the last seasons and he would be very, obviously as a neuroscientist, into like the impacts of how we speak on ourselves in terms of what's happening at a, at a neurobiological level. And he said to me that if self-compassion was a pill, every person would take one every single day without question. It is that powerful on the body and we don't even realize it. No, it, it, no, exactly. It, and you know, if you could take it as a pill and if it would just give you that freedom from constant self-criticism, I think we would, we would absolutely do it. Why wouldn't we? Self-criticism mm. is just like, don't get me wrong. Of course, I, I think it's important to appreciate, like sometimes we have to call ourselves in and do some work. But when it comes to our bodies, just the constant barrage of bullying every single day it's not it's not actually helpful um no. your sole responsibility isn't to be beautiful conventionally aesthetically beautiful whatever that means again an abstract concept and if if we just consistently tell ourselves that then we're just telling ourselves that we're not worth more but we are um we are we're human be we're human beings yeah um and it's just something that i've tried to be i've tried to tell women time and to over and over again and i think it's i think it's so important i think it's helpful um to just remind ourselves that you know like we it, it, like it doesn't it doesn't matter if you put on weight now or ever you know um when we're feeling useless and panicky, just remember like the pandemic, when I think about the pandemic, like everything we've gone through with that, you know, people were telling me I've put on weight through the pandemic and it's unbelievable how many people got the, the virus and then they were like, oh, but I put on weight because I didn't, I wasn't going out, I wasn't working out enough. Um, and I was like, comfort eating is 
for, through anxiety is so inoffensive. You know, nobody wants to go on a diet in a fucking pandemic. It's a global crisis. It's not a weight loss or a productivity contest, you know? I know, I know. And that's what it felt like for a lot of people. I think hopefully, hopefully we are changing our, our, our mindsets around that now and we can start to be a little bit kinder to ourselves. Jessica, Megan, you talk so much sense. <laughs> I want you to shout it from the rooftops. I know that you're making a huge difference for a lot of people and I know that you will with this episode as well. And I can't thank you enough for sharing your story with me and your experience. And I really wish you the best of luck with the therapy you're about to start. And I hope that you feel like you get to a point where the anxiety around the pandemic is something that you feel that you can own. And I think you're already there, but I think it's brilliant that you're taking these steps just to kind of copper fasten the, the, the strength around it. It's been so wonderful talking to you. I've loved every second. I think we could talk for hours and hours. I could have spoken to you for ages. I'm honestly like, this has been so, so nice to talk to you. Well, we will get together and we will have a drink at some point in person in the same country. But thank you so much. I hope that you found it enjoyable to chat as well. I did, I did. Thank you so much for having me. This has been absolutely amazing. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. The easiest way to access Owning It Real Time is to head to the link in the episode description or episode details, whatever you call them, show notes. You will find the link in there at the top. You can sign up right away for Owning It Real Time and access the full library of 10 situation-specific audio guides that will help you own your anxiety even more than you've ever done before.